We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. My beautiful friends, I'm so happy to be connecting with you today here on Empower Radio. Here's a question for you. Would you consider yourself successful? And if your answer to that question is no, would you like to be? And if your answer is yes, would you like to become even more so? Success can mean different things to different people. Perhaps it means financial freedom or happy relationships. It can mean that you're paid well to do what you love. The characteristics of success and what it really means is entirely up to you. And so is the opportunity to manifest it. Here's a quote about success from George Sheehan that I completely agree with. Success means having the courage the determination and the will to become the person you believe you were meant to be. Isn't that great? I would say at this point in my life, I'm fairly successful, but I wanna keep on learning, evolving and growing. In other words, I think I'm meant to be more than I am right now. And I wanna learn how I can do that. So I'm very excited to be having a conversation with a man whose career and purpose is to provide behavioral-based leadership strategies to individuals who are seeking to up-level in their success, as well as bring harmony to their personal and professional lives. We're going to be having a compelling conversation with Andrew Thorne. He is the author of Yu Wangi Le Mei, A Guide to Next Level Living. Dr. Andrew Thorne holds a PhD in consulting psychology, a master's in business administration, and a master's in personal and executive coaching. Dr. Thorne is widely recognized for his breakthrough thinking on how to help people discover their sense of purpose and create greater meaning and success in every area of their lives. So Dr. Thorne, I'm so happy you're taking the time to have this conversation with me here today. It's my pleasure to be with you, Tammy. It's a great day. Yes, it is. It really is um, quite magical from my perspective. (laughs) So I'm very interested in knowing more about your choice for the title of your book. Now, I don't know if I'm saying it right, so I'm gonna let you say it and then and talk to me a little bit about that. Sure, well, the choice for the title of the book was actually with the anticipation that you wouldn't say it right. <laughs> and uh, that, that it, when you see it written, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting word. And to say it correctly is uwangalema. And of course, that comes from an African fable. And the, the purpose of the name, that's the name of a tree that had fruit on it. And, but you could only get the fruit if you could pronounce the name correctly. And so obviously, you have to read the fable to get the title of the book. But that was purposefully done so that people would struggle with trying to pronounce it. And so I did. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's interesting and I like it. And now I'd like to know what inspired you to write this book? Well, like you just said, I've always been a seeker for excellence. And that 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 journey took me beyond uh, the idea of excellence, excellence and into the idea of perfection. 
And so as I pondered what it means to become perfect, I, I really get, got a sense that I was learning some things that I thought were worth sharing. And so that really put the, the batteries behind the work that I did to write Uwangalema and the work that I've done since that time is just filled with that idea is how do we move into a circle of perfection? Well, I would really like to get into that a little bit more because, you know, we, I always say, well, it's not possible to be perfect. Our, my intention is just to be more loving. But I want to know from your perspective how you would describe perfection. Well, it's that thanks, because we we live in a world where we tell ourselves that it's not possible to be perfect. And my my search for perfection really came from understanding the word. And, and I found the word translated from a Greek word, teleos, into perfection. And when I examined the Greek word teleos, I discovered that our thinking in perfection generally points us towards an end state or towards a, a, a state of being unflawed and unblemished. And of course, nobody can do that because we live in a world and a life that, that teaches us from our adversities and from our mistakes. And so those mistakes, I believe, truly are a part of perfection. And perfection to me now is a process. It's not a, it's not a destination. It's a, it's a lifestyle that says at the end of every day, I was good enough today, but tomorrow I can be better. And so I'm reaching into that next level of me tomorrow. And I, I really am inspired by the idea of perfection not being an end state. Mm, that's interesting. It's a different way of um, looking at that word and, and embodying it, you know, because to say you can, you can make mistakes and still be perfect that's yep. that's interesting, but I, I think um, I think that's beautiful because then you can kind of relax into an acceptance of where you are and continue to strive. Yes, you can you can actually live, right? <laughs> There's that, yeah. Because you know, in the past when I tried to be perfect and I would I would miss the mark, if you will, I, I would uh, go into a lot of judgment and withdraw my approval from myself. And I've I've learned that that can be one of those painful things that we can experience to not approve of ourselves. Oh, I think it's the ultimate pain pain that comes from that and we we spend our lives often trying to please others and so of course we fall short because how can you please somebody else but when we begin to accept ourselves and to 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 really like ourselves then everybody around us seems to like us and love us more than more than they did when we were trying to please them and so <laughs> i think it's just interesting uh how we we put it we play a game on ourselves that we have to live up to something that we're not Oh, I think you're so right. I mean, that that is that is exactly what I teach, you know, because you can play to the mirror or you can take responsibility for yourself. And yeah. as you do take responsibility for yourself, that image in the mirror shifts. So I, I love what you're saying and totally agree with it. Um, you have a quote in your book that I just really, really love. Um, and, and I just think it kind of goes along with what we're talking about here. Our aspirations are the permission we give ourselves to soar in ascending spirals. To me, that gives me the visualization of continuing to to reach up. And I love the word permission in this. Our aspirations are the permission we give ourselves to soar in ascending spirals. So enjoying the process, but continuing to to strive for more or better or um to just like ourselves more, to bless other people because we like ourselves more. So I, I want to know um, your thoughts about that beautiful quote that you came up with. Oh, thank you. The To me, 
aspirations really define the journey uh, of life much more effectively than dreams. Sometimes dreams can seem like a fantasy. And so when we, when we live into our aspirations, our aspirations, I just love the word. If you just, if you dissect that word a little bit, you see that aspirations really is breathing life into something. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about that aspiration and when we breathe life into ourselves, then of course we're free to act and behave in the way that we always wanted to. And to me, permission is so important because we live in a world that constantly is telling us no. I mean, in reality, mm -hmm. we hear no more than we hear yes. I, I think about this with my children is that I, I work to not be such a corrector. Uh, but with children, it's easy to fall into that corrective mode. It's, it's important for safety reasons, let alone all the other reasons. But I, I realize that, boy, I'm, I'm correcting more than I'm encouraging. And, and I think when we, when we aspire about something, then we, we give ourselves permission to, to really live into that. And, and of course, that final half of that quote where you think about how many downward spirals we can watch and how frequently we see that. So the idea of an ascending spiral just in, encourages me to, to really live into something more than I am today and even without feeling bad about who I am today. That's exactly what I get when I read that. It's so beautiful. Um, you you um, have a methodology that encompasses, that embraces that word aspire. And I love this, I wanna hear more about it. Um, you aspire, engage, become. Yes. What does that mean? Tell me about this. Well, I'm totally fascinated by the idea of becoming. I, I just think it's our end state. We have potential and everybody has potential. And of course, you know, every the, the size of potential is different for all of us. And when we look at potential, it really doesn't matter what the size of potential is, as long as we're living into our potential. And so as I as I thought about what it meant to become, I realized that it had to start with an aspiration, but it, it couldn't end there. Too many times we feel like we, we just have to speak it or aspire it or dream it, and it'll happen for us, but that's not that's really not what happens. And so I when I thought first about the next step in between aspiring and becoming, I thought of the idea of commitment, and I thought, wow, that sounds kind of like a downer. <laughs> it just felt it felt too heavy. And so when I thought about, well, what did I really mean by commitment? I meant about moving my feet and moving towards that, that better me who I was longing to become. And so the idea of engaging, because there is work involved in it. It is, it is a constant uh, uh, process. And so that idea of engaging just invigorated my, my process. And that's why I, I put those three words together to, to really generate some power. Yeah, and they do. It feels really good when you... When you say it or when you feel it, aspire, engage, become. To me, that's that is a very good feeling um, methodology, if you will. Yes. <clears throat> so you also discuss, and I love this, growing whole. Yeah. What exactly is that? You know, I'm I'm 47 years old. When I was 35, my father passed away. And that was a shocker to me. I really hadn't had any kind of experiences where I felt vulnerable before that time period. He wasn't expected, or it was a very unexpected event. And when he passed away, it just woke me up. And I looked into my future and I thought to myself, gee, what if I only survive another 30 years? Because he was 30 years older than me. And I realized that I wanted so much more than that. And so I, the question I asked was, if I only survived another 30 years, would I be happy with it? What, with what I was doing at the time, and the, and the answer was a clear no. And so as I began to think about who I wanted to become in my life, I started to realize that the older I got, 
the more society told me that I was becoming irrelevant and the more they generated the idea of the concept of you got to hang on to this youth. And I, I just, I determined at that point that I never wanted to grow old. I wanted to grow whole. And the wholeness meant that I would become that, that visualization of perfection, which to me means growing whole, becoming complete and, uh, and fully developed and finished. And that was the goal for me. And so now as I age, I don't think about what I'm losing. I think about what I'm gaining and how I'm growing into wholeness every day. And it just is an inspiring way to live. I totally agree with you. I speak of this on occasion myself because you're right. Um, society will say, you know, it, it's it's good to be young. It's it's you know, that's something we're supposed to want to have. And so many people resist uh, aging, if you will. Yes. So. I think we have two choices that we can either expand or we can contract and we can buy into society's notion for us or we can make a different choice. Uh, one of my heroes is uh, Maya Angelou and she's in her 80s and proud of it. And that woman is expanding. Amazing. I'm like, that's the direction I want to go. <laughs> so I love yeah. what you're talking about here. Yeah. And when we think about people that are in their 80s that we know that are living and I went by living, I mean, actually enjoying their life. It's incredible because, uh, you know, I, I, I know people that are 60 that look like they're 80 and I know people that are 80 that look like they're 60 mm -hmm. and they're, they're living really great lives. And the difference to me is that they're not they're not lamenting every day all of the things of the past. They're still connected to a bright and beautiful future. And I I'm inspired by that. Oh, you and me both. So. Here's a question. You know, when I started the show, we talked about success. Say somebody's in their maybe 40s, 50s. It doesn't really matter how old they are. Um, but say they're they're living their lives and they're not feeling like they're embodying success. First of all, I'd like to know from your perspective what that is and is anyone capable of it? I think everybody's capable of it. And so for me, I, I when I define success, I first like to start with what it's not. And it's not connected to our financial uh, efforts. In other words, we know so many people, we don't have to look very far to, to see so many people on the news every day who make millions of dollars. And yet there's so such a disaster in their lifestyles. And so, but we, but we, and we know people who don't make anything who are so happy. And so the making and spending of money does not bring happiness. It, it, it makes life comfortable, but it does not bring happiness. And that's our only measure of success, which, again, this is what society will have us believe. Then, we'll, then we're going to feel short. We're going to fall short of that all the time. And so I think success comes to us when we are at peace. And how do we have peace in our lives? We have peace in our lives when we are connected to our purpose and we're living into that purpose. And to me, that's when we feel successful. Otherwise, we feel lost and we don't feel successful. And so true. It's just so a great true. Well, I love something in your book that you do um, after each chapter, you know, because I think a lot of people might be listening to this and going, well, you know, the problem is I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my dreams are. I, you know, it, it, peace can be um, hard to attain when you're not comfortable in your skin and you're not loving what you're doing, loving yourself, loving your life. So you have something at the end of each chapter called finding your voice, which yeah. I think is so helpful. And I think it would, it can help people figure out what that is, what their purpose is, um, what fulfills them. So I'd like to know a little bit more about your exercises. And, and again, what inspired you to do this 
uh, at the end of each chapter. Well, before before I I mentioned my father passing away, and I was involved in another career at that time, and and uh, so when I I had I had voices that I looked to, and over the years, it's really easy to turn tune in and find out what Pierce Morgan thinks or what Rush Limbaugh thinks, and <laughs> and they can become they can become the voices that influence us. And I, I think that's really sad when that happens. And because we live in a in a micro uh, a micro world where everything you know is 140 characters or less, or we cook our pop tarts in two seconds in the microwave, or or something like that, we want everything just given to us. And we we've lost the ability to really think and to ponder and to reflect about things. And so when I when I wrote my book, I didn't I didn't want to write the book in such a way that I would be the voice. I wanted I wanted my book to be set up in a way that I would have a conversation, a dialogue with the reader, and I would give the reader my putting forth some ideas and the reader comment on those ideas. And to yeah, me, I like that. So at the end of every section, they get to they get to co-author the book with me. And that that that's great because you know you can read somebody else's thoughts. But again, what matters more is having that provoke your own thoughts or having it support you and expanding in your own thoughts or hearing your own voice, hearing your own thoughts. So I think that's really wonderful that your book is, uh, it's very interactive. It's very engaging. I had somebody comment to me that, you know, it's it's a hundred and I don't know, 10, 14 pages long. And somebody said, it's only a hundred pages, but it turns into a thousand really quick if you read it correctly. Fascinating. That was <laughs> I love that. Yes, it, it really is. So something you talk about uh, right out of the gate in your book is the quality of deception, both conscious and unconscious deception. And I would imagine these are things that uh, are, are roadblocks to manifesting uh, greater fulfillment and success. Can you tell me about what deception is and how we can uh, maybe kind of get beyond deceiving ourselves? Yes. De- easy enough to describe i have a trash can in my in my bathroom that my wife and i share and that that can gets filled all the time and i rarely put anything into it but and so i'll wait for her to to tell me uh, to empty the trash can and sometimes you know that will fester with me because i'll have an idea that i ought to empty it but i'll say well she's the one putting stuff in it so it's her it's her job to empty it and then i'll start to blame her and i'll start to create her to be this lazy person who won't even empty a trash can and and so I didn't deception starts when we have a feeling to do something and then we don't honor it. And mm-hmm. we then we create a story of blame and account of fault around it for somebody else. And we turn them into the monster that uh, could have been really solved if we just would have, you know, if I'd have walked, t- taken a minute and emptied the trash can. And so I really think that, you know, and, and sometimes we do this knowingly. Like I knew I ought to empty that trash can. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're just too busy and we think about it. And so and and sometimes we 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 know about our own flaws and we see that we hope that somebody else won't know about it. So we don't do anything about it to, to repair. Mm-hmm. You bring up a really good point. I'm glad we're getting into this because this is something I've definitely struggled with and I see with my clients. I think it's so important if we really want to evolve, if we really want to uh, transcend, transform, to grow into success or fulfillment is the ability to recognize our blind spots. Yes. So how can we do that? Well, they're blind to us, obviously. So we have to get, <laughs> we have to get, we have to get feedback, right? We have to, yes. uh, you know, I, 
I am, like I said, 47 years old. I've noticed my eyesight's dimming a little bit. And so I can continue to not see the page or I can get a pair of glasses that will help me see the page. And so I choose to have the glasses. And the same thing happens with our with our behaviors. We We need to have a pair of lenses that we can see ourselves and oftentimes we're unable to do that either because it's painful or or because secretly we hope nobody else will and so we really we really have to invest with our friends and have them help us become accountable with us and and take us to to a different level by giving us feedback that's mm. one way it starts with that and i think that's true i started doing that recently with um with some of the people that i trust in my life that i really love and um, I'll ask them, what do you see in regards to areas that I might um, be able to uh, embrace some some positive changes? What do you think I can do to become better? You know, I ask them what the good things are, but then I ask them where do they where do they think I could uh, get some improvement? And it's fascinating to hear their perspectives. Yeah, and um, I think it's important to be discerning too, because sometimes they maybe having their own projections, but I've gotten some really good information that's helped me kind of, I think, fine tune and up level. Well, and even if it's their own projections w with that person, we're projecting that. So they're, they're, they're feeling that from us and that's a blind spot for us, whether it's true or not for us, uh, it's not worth debating because what we can find is that it's true for them. And so if that's a relationship that we value, then we have to figure out how can we grow to be more of what they want from us and if it's a relationship that we don't value and, and we find it to be toxic, then it's just time to say goodbye and move on. Yes, I think you're right. So something you talk about in your book is um, growth rather than change, because I think a lot of people have a certain resistance to change and it can be because it's scary. And I also believe that control can be one of our uh, bigger addictions, if you will. So you don't even you don't even want to say that we have to change. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about growth. Sure. I, I don't believe anybody likes to change. I think change is motivated by external forces. And I know there are a lot of people that say, hey, I love to change. But if they were to carefully think back to the last time that somebody wanted them to do something that they didn't want to do, I'm sure they would reconnect with the feelings they had in that moment and, and discover that, no, I don't like change. But But growth is something different. Growth comes to us from... Uh, within it it's a it's a movement that comes to us and and so it's funny that I find this with raising children sometimes the children I can tell them this so many times and they won't do anything about it and then they'll discover it for themselves and all of a sudden they'll move in that direction and I know as I watch children do that I know that as adults we do that too and so growth is really motivated by an internal desire and that's the only way that we can stay motivated to stick with it when when it becomes difficult Mm. Growth is motivated by internal desire. I love that. I think it's so true. Yes. Nobody likes to be told they have to do anything, even if it's us telling ourselves that. Right. You know, so, yeah, you want it to be inspired, not because it's a have to. It's like invitational rather than, um, you know, kind of beating ourselves up and giving ourselves a, a directive with some judgment. Yes, indeed. I love that. So how can we accelerate our growth? Well, I think the way to accelerate growth is to look towards the future. Not not from the perspective that says, uh, I want to you know, be something different, but to look towards who we want to be. And 
inside of us, there already are the seeds to that. You know, I meet people that knew me 30 years ago and they say, wow, you've really changed. And, and at first I was resistant to that because I didn't feel like I had changed. I felt like I was always the same Andrew inside of me. And later then I realized that what they were really saying is that I had learned how to become that real Andrew. And I'm, so I'm excited as I look to the future to think about who I, who I still am to become. And Mm -hmm. it's exciting. It's exciting to want to live into that. Oh, it is. I love, I love that. You know, I, I like the saying, are you a Tigger or are you an Eeyore? <laughs> you are clearly a Tigger. Yeah. I love having Tigger conversations. Oh, good. This is awesome. Yeah, because you talk about how society uh, confirms the idea that we are victims. Indeed. And I think there's two ways to live, victim or empowered. <clears throat> and of course, yes. we're on Empower Radio, so we've made that choice. So I, wanted to, I want you to talk, we've got a couple minutes before we go to break. I want you to talk about that for a second, if you will, about how society confirms that we are victims rather well, than victors. Well, it's in everything we see. Uh, if you if you lived your life by watching uh, the news or by watching TV and the commercials, you would realize that you can't measure up. Your abs are not in good enough shape. You're... Your hair is not, uh, you know, the right, uh, it's the color or the right, uh, um, it's not falling out, it's falling out. Um, if you look at, you know, your body's just not the right shape and you're, and you're not, you don't have the right successes that society plans to us. And so we, we become victims and we saw last year where there was a, there was a separation of who we are as a people, even where we started to call people the 1% or the 99%. And these were just tools of our society to, to kind of trap us and put us into boxes and say, well, you know, if you're the 99%, that's all you can ever be. Or, or if you're the 1%, you're bad all of a sudden. And it, everywhere I look, the message that I get from media or from society is, you're, you don't measure up. You're not enough. And, and that's what a victim feels like. That's true. Not enoughness. That's true. Because I think we all have so much more power than we think. And it's really about relaxing into that, knowing that taking responsibility for it, claiming it, enjoying it. Well, and, and seeing who I am. You know, I don't have to make up who I am. I can, I can live into it. I can create it, certainly, but I don't, have to, I don't have to hide from who I am. And when I figured that out in my life, and I wish I would have figured out a lot earlier, I just started having the greatest time of my life. And it didn't, <laughs> it didn't mean that I didn't have trials or, or adversity. It just meant that when the trial and adversity came, I enjoyed it. I, I experienced it. I learned from it. It was just good. That's fantastic. I just love this conversation, uh, Dr. Thorne. And so for my listeners, we're going to go to a quick break here. When we come back, Dr. Thorne is going to share with us his formula so that we, we can become our best and to find out who we are in three simple steps. It's not going to be fun. Very interesting stuff. So hang on. We'll be right back with Dr. Andrew Thorne. License and registration. But I'm walking. Do you want to upset an officer of the law? No, sir. Good. I pulled you over today for littering. Uh, I didn't litter. (laughs) Wow. That's what they all say. Unfortunately, I saw you drop a pair of thunder thighs a few blocks back. Probably happened as you were biting into that apple you're holding. Uh, How'd you know they're my thunder thighs? Well, my young friend, I'd like to say two years, and the police academy helped figure it out. But between us, it was smallstep.gov. Smallstep.gov? Yep, Rooney. 
It's this site with tons of easy ways to lose weight. Some steps are so easy, people don't realize they're doing them. Like you taking small step number 83, snack on fruits. Go to smallstep.gov, you'll see. You can drive off now. I'm still walking. Take a small step to get healthy at smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Let's say you're a mom and you want to put on the perfect birthday party for your twin daughters. So you get a clown and he dazzles everyone. And you order a cake and have the bakery put something nice on it. Happy birthday, girls. And you hire a pony to give everyone rides. <laughs> and it all goes perfectly. Best party ever, mom. And you're the perfect mom. But even if it doesn't go that way and your clown doesn't dazzle and the bakery doesn't spell out the right message. Happy birthday, Gil. And the pony doesn't give everyone rides. It can still be the perfect birthday party because kids don't always see things the way you see them. Best party ever, Mom! You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of siblings in foster care who'll take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, go to adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. There's a place where a total stranger will give their blood to save your life. There's a place where someone you never knew will save your child from drowning. A place where people will give you food and shelter after a flood. There's a place where, when you need it most... Someone will reach out their hand, put it across your shoulder, and say, Everything's going to be okay. That place is called America, where we look out for each other. And it's up to us to keep it that way. When you help the American Red Cross, you help America. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org today. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Belashevsky. Hello, my friends. Thanks for spending some time with us here at uh, Journey to Center and Empower Radio. I'm having a really fun conversation with Dr. Andrew Thorne. I'm getting such great value from this, and I hope you are as well. So, Dr. Thorne, thank you for being here with us. My pleasure. This is really just a fun conversation from my perspective. (laughs) From mine, too. I'm enjoying it. And I'm really, really looking forward to getting into this second half of the show because I want to know who I am, and I want to become my best. (laughs) (laughs) So before we went to break, I had mentioned you're going to share with us your formula to become our best. So I'm, I'm excited to hear more about this. Well, become, you know, become, I have a formula that's called the become formula and it was born from the idea of goal setting. And we've heard so much about smart goals. And when I looked at smart goals, it really, it really, smart goals really helped me to get the quantities of life that I wanted, but they didn't really help me to get the qualities of life that I wanted. And so I sat down and started thinking, well, if I want to have a <clears throat> formula for, for goals, I don't really live by goals anymore. I live by aspirations. So how can I make uh, 
how can I make a formula for as aspiring to be better? And so I came up with the become formula. It's, it's an easy acronym, become B E C O M E. And there's five steps or six steps that are associated with each letter of become that help me remember to live into my aspirations. And so if, if you want, I'll go through those steps. Those six sure. So, yeah. so the, the first step is simply being willing to see myself or yourself at your best. You got to be able to see the best you. Mm. And as you see that, you move into that next to that E, which is envisioning growth. And you start to realize that to become the best you, there are there are mo there's movement that needs to be happening. Ac activities, actions, daily daily walks that need to happen to become uh, your best. So you have to envision that. What does that look like? Then that C, that moves to where I've got to collect information. We talked a little bit about our blind spots. I've got to go out and get some information as to how I'm going to do this and where I'm falling short right now. I can't just rely on what I internally see because I'm good at fooling myself. And mm -hmm. so, so I have to go out and, and do that. When I get to that, oh, this to me is the most important part because it, it means that I have to open myself up to being great. I, I had a conversation with a client one time, and when I told him he was great, he said, I really reject that statement. I, I don't want to live into greatness. And he, he just had some idea that it was proudful or in, in, uh, inauthentic to be, to be great. And I, I just think that we can't, we can't be our best if we can't see ourselves at our best. And so I really, I really see an opening that comes from me as I start to live into my aspirations where I can become great and I can see myself as being great. And then I start acting like I'm great. And when I act like I'm great, I need to make time to celebrate along the way. Mm -hmm. I've, and I've got to stop and think about, hey, these are great things that I'm doing and I want to celebrate them. Now, I, I want to celebrate them appropriately. I don't need to call up uh, you know, the world and say, look how great I am. But I can go out and celebrate it. And generally, my celebrations are, are steps that help me to become even better. And so as I move into that last E, uh, it's an idea of, about experience. Experience is really what drives our satisfaction in our life. And so experience something every day, but not just something. I want to experience my aspirations each day by living into them. And so I, I let my, we talked about purpose and how do you find out your purpose? Well, I think purpose is born from our aspirations. And so when we understand those aspirations and we live into them, we can do almost anything. We can really walk fire if we have to and, and learn how to be our very best. So that's. I'm feeling very inspired listening to this. <laughs> I want to write a list of my aspirations now. This is fantastic. And I know really writing things down is one of the greatest predictors for success. So I think I, I want to do that. I want to really consider that and start climbing them on paper and anchoring them in the world. Um, and the other thing I'm really excited about talking about is finding out who we are. Yes. Who, how do we do that? I think that sounds like such a fascinating uh, possibility, if you will. It's not it's easy. <laughs> Well, I obviously, you know, I think it's easy because I said we could do it in three simple. Well, let me take <laughs> You're making not, it accessible. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. It's simple. Yeah, that big difference. That doesn't mean we're going to do it. <laughs> but, but I, I find that, you know, the, to me, it's I just, I just take my. So imagine that we have a piece of paper in front of us right now, and I just draw a line that has an arrow on each end of that line that's going from uh, left to right on my paper. And then just in from the left arrow, I, I put a, a uh, I guess I'd be a vertical line, and I call that birth. 
And then just in from the right arrow, I put another vertical line and I call that death. And then I ask myself, where am I right now today? Where am I at? Am I in between that birth line and that death line? And I make another mark. And then I ask myself, well, how many years are represented from where I am today to where I think I'll possibly die? And then I put a year to that. And then I ask myself the question, well, who do I want to become? And these are not easy questions, especially this one. So it takes a while. It's not something that, you know, I can just answer yes or no. But as I really think about who I want to become and I really start to visualize Andrew at 94 years old and ready to take my final breath and who that man will be. Well, I'm excited to meet that man. And I, and I start to see not only does visualizing who I want to become, tell me something about who I will be 47 years from now, but it also tells me about some, some, something about who I am right now. Mm -hmm. And so when I anchor then to where I am right now and who I want to become, the actions that I need to take start to come into focus. And so that third step, so that first step was where am I? The second step is who do I want to become? And that third step is now what do I need to do to become that person? Mm. And when I evaluate what I need to do, I have one of two things happens. Either one, I feel so incredibly connected to that person that I want to become that I'm willing to do those actions or two, I'm not connected enough. And that the actions that I've described are not, who I want to be. And so now I have to reevaluate the vision of who I want to become because the actions will not change. I'm going to have to live into those actions. And if I'm not willing to live into those actions, I may as well decide that I want to be somebody else. That's fascinating. And I can also see where people might get discouraged if they, they, they aren't really, um, on that line to becoming who they want to become. It can be so, well, it's like, I want to be Oprah. I want to, you know, and it's like, well, it seems so yeah. impossible that I'm just going to give up, you know? Yeah. Well, and you just hit on something really powerful because wanting to be Oprah is doing something, you know, it's not really being something. Mm -hmm. And so if we, and notice that I did the action step last, I didn't, I didn't ask myself, what do I want to do? I asked myself, who do I want to be? And so as I thought, as I thought about that, then the actions that came out of that, because I think every day I let who I want to be guide my actions every day. I don't let, I don't let what I do guide my actions. But when I, when I know who I want to be every day, then, then my actions must be aligned with that. And if they're not aligned with that, I don't ever, I don't ever arrive at that person. That's true. You know, it's so interesting because I was meditating a while back about, you know, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And I kept getting that I should be. And I was yes. like, but what do I do? Be, yes. but what do I do? And then I, I got some, I got it. I actually got some directive and it was like spirit said, love my children. I'm like, all of them. Gosh, that's overwhelming. And, yeah. and then I got just the one in front of you. And I'm, I really get that now it's to be present and in my loving with whoever I'm connecting with, yeah, you know, whether it's, whether it's you or my lovely producers, Remy and Sean today, or whoever I'm with just to be in my loving boy, that took a lot of pressure off of me in my life. <laughs> it does. It does. Because to do, to do is never ending. That's it's, so true. That <laughs> list, it never gets any shorter. <laughs> well, and there's no, and there's really no fulfillment. You can do things, you know, you can make a million dollars or you can buy the Ferrari or you can, you know, have the great house or you can take the great vacation. And when it's over, there's somebody that has that made $2 million or somebody that's driving a, 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 you know, a, a Pantera and somebody that lives in a bigger house and somebody that took a better vacation. And so we can never satisfy to do, but we can live into, to be. 
Yes. And I it's such a so great, it's such a great thing. And I'm I, and I'm so I'm so uh, inspired by the vision that you had while you were meditating. It's awesome. Well, and then, you know, you know how the universe can wink at you. Then I, I, I ran into that quote. Uh, Mother Teresa said, there are no great things. There's only small things done with great love. Yeah. And I'm like, that's that's my life. And uh, then uh, there was another quote. Um, the only real happiness is the giving and receiving of love. So that's kind of become my, you know, North Star, if you will, or my guiding light. Sure. And it's interesting as I as I relax into that opportunities show up, you know, this radio just showed up and, you know, you showed up. <laughs> it's just That's it's great. fun when that becomes the guiding light, if you will. Yeah. And we're, we're probably all excited about the movie Les Miserables right now. And at the end of that movie, we get another love quote to love another person is to see the face of God. Oh, that is such a great one. That is yeah, such a is. great one. It's yeah. so true. It is. It's so true. It's so it true. Is. And I see my own face, too, when I do that. And that is the best, to be able to see God in your own eyes. Yes. And again, it, that circles back to what we were talking about. I think the most painful thing, the people that are really hurting are the ones that don't know how amazing they are, that they have withdrawn their approval from themselves or they judge themselves. They don't see God in their own eyes yeah. and feel God in their own heart. And to me, that that's hell on earth. It is. It definitely is. And, and that's someone waiting for somebody else to give them permission to be great. And that's why I like to give myself permission to be great. Oh, I love that. You just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> so I know, Dr. Thorne, you've worked with many, many, many successful people nearing the end of their lives. And I just find this so fascinating. I can't wait to hear more. And you have distilled down the five most important life lessons from many of these wonderful people that you've worked with. I'm, I'm very interested in knowing what these life lessons are. Yeah, uh, they're big. And, I, and I, uh, I like to learn from these lessons because they remind me about, about who I am. And, and they change for me. So they're different every time. And sometimes I distill them down to five. And other times I put them into three. And sometimes I just think about them as being one. And I think the one greatest life lesson is to, is to listen. It's just, it's just so important. We, we don't do that enough. And I don't necessarily mean listen when somebody else is talking. Well, while that's certainly help, helpful. I mean, listen to what's being communicated to me through other channels. And I just found that successful people, people that are happy in their lives, they know how to do this. I, one time somebody asked me, I like to run, I'm a runner. And they asked me, when you're running, what do you listen to? And I said, I listened to myself. And they said, oh, I could never do that. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, how sad. Because inside of me comes the, the, the ideas that help me be a creator, that help me be uh, a servant, that help me be able to love everyone. And so I, I just think that first, one of those first lessons is to really be a great listener. And then the next lesson is, is to not get to, to really, I don't, I hate to use the word let go because it's so trite these days we hear it so much but so it's not to be caught up in our mistakes it's to really forgiveness is such a powerful word and we think about it often about extending it to other people but really forgiveness comes to me it's my it's my opportunity to forgive me every day and when i forgive me every day then it's no problem forgiving somebody else i don't have any animosity inside of me and i'm not judging them by by what I see inside myself, transferring whatever 
like about myself onto them. Instead, I'm just forgiving myself and it opens me up so much to be so much more with people when I'm present with them. And I just, I just love that idea of, it, to me, forgiveness is so much more than letting go. It's, it's actually seeing the better me and moving into that. I absolutely agree with you. Because I think so many of us um, don't want to forgive others because then we know we'll be left with our own guilt and shame. And, and like, just like what you said, if we can get to that core, forgive ourselves, relax into that space of love, it, it heals us from the inside out. And then we're not projecting our unhealed stuff on others and pointing the finger outward. We're comfortable yeah. in our skin. We're in our loving. We're authentic. You know, we're yeah. ourselves. It, Something it, else you said, yeah, that I that I just loved was uh, listening to yourself. And you can listen to your monkey mind or your soul self. Yeah. Your small self or your big self. This is some, some just really inspirational and right on, I think, uh, lessons that you've garnered and that are sharing thanks and, when, and when, when we don't take the time to listen to ourselves, the only voice we hear by the way is our monkey mind because it's so much louder and so much closer to the surface <laughs> so that's why they call it the still small voice and the yes. monkey mind it's not a bad guy you just need to kind of you know put him over there in his cage once in a while give him a banana and <laughs> relax and hear that that still small voice that soul I, I that love source. that term I love that term <laughs> We'll let you out in a little while. Just go relax. <laughs> yep. yep. I love that. So something you refer to yourself as, and I haven't heard this before. I'm very interested in this. You are a legacy coach. Is that correct? Yes. So tell yes. me what that, what that means. Well, when we hear the term legacy, again, we often turn back to the idea of finances and we think that legacy is about what we're going to leave behind. How much money will we leave our children or those that we love? And sadly, that's really far away from the definition of legacy. Legacy actually comes to us from an old French word and then an old a middle uh, uh, Hebrew word that really uh, brought, or excuse me, Latin word that really brought the idea of a group or a person who was to go forward and prepare the way for somebody else. And it was to prepare a future. So it was never, never meant to be about leaving something behind. It was always meant to be about taking something or preparing something for the future. And so I've learned that legacy is, uh, is equally about, because I do think it's, it's bio-directional now and it's hard to get away from the idea of what are we going to leave behind, but it's equally about what are we going to live into and what are we going to take with us when we leave this life? Mm. And I, I really firmly believe that there is something beyond this life. And I think our legacy is the intelligence that we gain. I really think intelligence is the current of eternity. And so it's just an idea that I have to think about. And so I help people live into that vision of what legacy is and who they, as they're thinking about who they want to become, they're obviously creating their legacy. It's a wonderful process. Mm. Yeah, it really is. I think that that's just so beautiful. You bring to mind something else that I've heard and, and believe. We have our goal line and we have our soul line. And the goal line is maybe the, the Pantera or the, the big checking account or the big house or whatever that looks like in the material world. And then we have the soul line, the soul lessons. Um, and that's what we take with us. Um, yes. As we move on to the next phase of our um, consciousness and experience as we drop our bodies. And so often, I think, especially in our Western civilization, we're so focused on the goal line and the stuff, you the know. <laughs> yes. 
and and the things that you shared earlier about um, speaking with uh, the, some of the wonderful people at the end of their lives that you've talked to, they talk about listening and forgiveness, and these are soul line um, yes. lessons that that will continue. Uh, that we take with us. You know, we can't take our stuff with us. We take those soul yeah. lessons with us. Yeah. I love the guy who died and said that he wanted each kid to put $10,000 in his coffin. And so two kids put $10,000 cash and the third kid wrote a check for 30,000 and took the 20,000 out. And uh, because there's just the cash, there's no way we can take our cash with us. And yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as we take those last couple of breaths. It, it really doesn't. It doesn't matter when we're taking our middle breaths or our first breaths. <laughs> I <Yep>. love that. <laughs> in truth, that, that is truth. You know, it was funny. It was the other day I was like sitting in traffic and I was so agitated. I'm like, gosh, I can't wait to get home and sit on my couch. And I, I kind of wondered why that was kind of a big deal. It's like, well, God's there. Well, isn't God here too now in traffic in in my car listening to music? It's like that possibility is with us in every second that connection that ability to connect and it, it doesn't matter what's in the bank account it doesn't matter if you're sitting in traffic you know that option is always available to us I, I had this argument with somebody who said you know oh yeah well sure that makes sense but nobody will live their life that way and I said I do and I, I I've been blessed to make money and I've been blessed to not make money and in those time periods I've chosen to be happy in both of those time periods and I, I find that I always I always find a way to make enough to provide for my needs and, and what's interesting is that as I live into that, then I can get over whatever shortcomings I have with a financial problem. And I think financial crisis is just a part of life. We may as well get used to it, accept it, and realize that no matter how much we have, we're going to want more because it can never be satisfied. Yes, I think that's true. We're not, you know, again, we expand or we contract. We rarely sit still, you know. Yeah. Yes. There's always something going on. Yes. So I know you were very successful prior to becoming a legacy coach. Can you tell me about what you did and, and why you've made this uh, transition in your career? Yeah. Well, I had a great career in the financial markets. Uh, not, not to, uh, I was, the business was commercial lending. And so we financed uh, the, the equipment that companies needed to make their businesses profitable. So that was a neat experience, but it never was what my heart called me to do. It was, it was what my mind did. I wanted to be a teacher, and, and, uh, but I was told everywhere that I looked that, oh, if you're a teacher, you will never make enough money to provide for your family. And I wanted to have a, a, a large family. And so I looked around for who I knew that was most successful financially, and I, and I followed them. And I went to work for him and, and I was good at what he did. And I, I made a lot of money and I grew a company and I started the company and grew a company and it, it was really terrific. But then one day I realized that everything that I was doing was putting people in debt. I wasn't freeing them. I wasn't, even though I was helping them and they were able to create their vision through it, I was putting people into debt. And that's not what they loved about me. They loved my, my wisdom. They loved my demeanor. They loved my attitude. And so they became my clients because they needed a service, but they, they stayed my clients because they liked who I am. And mm -hmm. so I, I just, when, when that decision point of a father passing away came to me, I said, well, who do I want to be? And I realized I didn't want to be Andrew Thorne, the president of, finan of Tallman Financial anymore. And so I sold my business and, and, and entered this journey. And what a journey it's been. Yeah, I feel like you are definitely lined up with your soul's purpose because I think we can have jobs, we can have careers, and then we have, you know, our life's purpose. So to me, you, it feels that you are definitely aligned, you know, with your soul and doing what you came here to do. 
I, f- I feel that way every single day right now and I do not feel like I have a job and it's funny because clients come and go uh, so jobs are are not but all of my clients whether you know they, they're my friends and it's uh it's so fascinating to build that network and and to be involved with uh, with my friends every day instead of my employees or my coworkers or my clients I'm just I'm working with my friends because I'm dedicated to a purpose and not a job and but I do again, that, yes. Yes. It's like a greater job. Yeah. I, and I say that life purpose, when we're aligned with our life purpose, it's like we're getting paid to play and we're in our loving. And to me, yeah, you definitely are exemplifying those qualities. Yes. So, Dr. Thorne, we don't have that much time left. Um, I have one last question and then I'm going to tell people how they can find you or you're going to tell people how they can find you. What do you believe makes your approach um, distinctive or different? That's a that's a tough question because it speaks to what I <laughs> it speaks to what I think my legacy will be and, and and what I think my purpose is right now, and so I think what makes me different is that I have uh, rejected the world, and I get emotional a little bit when I talk about that because that was a big decision for me, but I I just did and when I rejected the world it was a, in a big way it was rejecting myself. It was it was it was letting go of the need to be the center of somebody else's life, the guru or the uh, the voice for them. And as I rejected myself, I was able to see people as they really are. And as I as I work with people with that vision, with seeing them as they really are, I'm able to speak to them in a direct, honest, and sometimes challenging way without ever without them ever feeling challenged or or hurt by it. And so great growth is able to come because I'm only focused on who they are. And also when I see them as they really are, I see them as they really may be or will be uh, as we work together. And I loved how you and I started our conversation today off air was where we spoke our intentions to each other. And wasn't that a wonderful experience? And imagine I, I live that. So it's so great to to be able to meet people who live that, too, because that that lets us both be our best and live into those intentions. What a wonderful mm. So true. And as you're speaking, I'm, I'm remembering a quote from The Course in Miracles. The rules of the universe are 180 degrees away from the rules of the world. And to me, when you talk about rejecting the world, what you've done is you've gone to this bigger picture, this 180 degree turn towards source, towards love, towards your soul. Yes. And to me, this is when we raise above the cloud line. Instead of being beneath the cloud line, the doom and the gloom, we're... we're having this beautiful, bright, sunshiny day. And as I look out of my balcony, that's what I see. And that's what I feel while I'm connecting here with you. It circles back to just being present and in our loving in every moment. Yeah, so we we carefully say we reject the world, not the people in it. So that's where we drive back to that loving that you just said. You know, as I, I did. I rejected the wisdom of the world, but I, I embraced and loved and everybody, I, my clients, it's funny because I'll tell them you're really easy to love or I'll tell them I love you. And it's so it's so interesting to tell a man who's 50 years old, you know, I love you. And they're not they're not quite sure what that means, but they feel it. And the more the time goes on, it becomes natural for them to say it back. And there's yes. nothing there's nothing meant. But, hey, we're we're in this together and we're here to help each other. And I learned much from, I learned more probably than my clients do from that. And I'm open. I love that. 
So, Dr. Thorne, um, I tease the people with about how they can get a hold of you. And you'd mentioned uh, letting people have your book for a period of time here. So yes. how can they get a hold of you? How well, do they find I you? I think the best way, because it's the easiest way for those that are listening, is to probably go to your wherever you post this, and they'll be able to see our interview, and they'll be able to see my web address, which is just simply my first and last name, andrewthorne.com. Not, not with an E at the end, just thorn like on a rose bush. And from there, and we're, we're really working to change the site right now, but from there you can find out how to contact me. I, I will say it, my cell phone's on that site. My, my email address is on that site and just how you can get the book. If you buy the book through the website, you get an autographed copy from me. And, and as you mentioned, I'm, I'm going to uh, call our, uh, our press company, our publishing company at, at Amazon.com. Currently, you can buy the book on Amazon.com, a Kindle copy for $9.99. And I'm okay. going to call. That's fantastic, Andrew. We're wrapping up now. So if you want more of Andrew, I know I do, go to his website, andrewthorne.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. Dr. Thorne, you're amazing. Stay on the line. I want to talk to you a bit more. And okay. to my listeners, onward and upward. You're in our hearts. Bye for now.